success of the MCU is because of how much it is liked by the general public, rather than despite the public hating it like Transformers or Fast and Furious. Surprisingly, even in 2018, there are dozens of movies that do not feature a superhero that came out this year. Today, we want to talk about what these movies outside the action blockbuster genre can learn from the success of the MCU, uh, and possibly from some of their failings. We're here today with uh, Jack Nugent, who runs his own YouTube channel called Now You See It, and he's a bit of a movie buff. Welcome, Jack. Hi, good to be here, Thomas. Uh, I'm also joined by our long-standing host of the podcast, Chris. Thomas, I want to take issue with you just seeing Fast and Furious. All right. Uh, it's an amazing series, and <laughs> I hate you. Anyway, thanks for having me. Wow. Starting off very, very aggressive. You have that ready? Because like, you saw what he was going to say. So you're like prepared. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah. I was above board on all of this, Chris. Like, this is a little late. To... <laughs> he like made edits to this. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, so I sort of want to start off with just like, and a, a film analysis of why people like big superhero movies, like specifically ones in the MCU, because there have been some bad ones, but generally speaking, they're well liked by the general public. And there must be something in the craft that helps it do that. Uh, well, I mean, it's... See, that's what happens when you have someone like uh, Kevin Feige in charge, because not only is he a uh, big comic book, comic book nerd, but he's also had a lot of training being just a film producer. So having been in the industry, he kind of knows how it works. He knows what formulas work. Um, and I guess when when eventually Disney gets in the mix, you, know, you can probably argue that they would probably have some hand because they have kind of, I'm not sure if perfected is the right word, but they have like, they have a, they have a familiar formula that people have been going to for decades. Um, what that formula really consists of, I guess that's really up to us to kind of uh, figure out, but um, not to say that Marvel Studios is doing the same damn thing over and over again, but they found a groove, they found a rhythm, and they know how to hit all those points with both um, fans of the comic books and also just general moviegoers. Like, I'm speaking as someone who did not read a lot of comic books, but I am just so into these movies. So that's how it's been working for me, at least. Um, let's see. Who's the guy who plays uh, Thanos? What's his name? Josh uh, Brolin. Josh Brolin. So jo yeah, I remember this when I read what we were going to talk about, I thought of this interview that he did on some show, uh, like some Tonight Show. Oh, yeah. And uh, where he talks about how, like, Kevin and all the other producers will, like, throw a barbecue party and they'll just like sit around yeah. and plan like the next eight years of the <laughs> MCU. And that image has like, ever since I heard him say that it's, it has a struck, it has struck, it struck a chord in my mind of just like how, like that just the image of being at a barbecue and just like throwing around like, Oh, well, like tease Thanos and then in the next <laughs> show in the next movie will do this and like then this superhero will come and then and it's just like uh yeah i th this is like you like nailed this too chris but it's like a it's like a feat of production and that's like well also what fast and furious and like transformers <laughs> also are is they're like feats of, these are like production feats like these are like like these uh right this there's something to be said just to the organizational clout 
that these like it's like like it's like I don't know we're at like an, in an age of of like incredible production like planning. But do you think that Transformers and Fast and Furious has that that kind of planning behind it? it at least with Transformers, it feels like each new movie has was <laughs> invented after the box office release of the yeah, last that's, one. So yeah, I, I yeah so yeah. Marvel can do it all, but Transformers has, like, uh, the special effects coordination is a production feat. Yeah, like that, absolutely. Like, that, because the first Transformers, like, looks really good, and, uh, like, it still looks amazing, and it's because, like, Michael Bay knew, like, how to, he knows how to integrate the special effects. But that's so, like, I, I don't know if you could be as, as uh, reductive as, like, Transformers can do special effects production incredibly well, and Fast and Furious can do whatever, I don't know what it can, what it can <laughs> but, uh, just that... Oh, I, I can go on and on Yeah, I mean, and maybe, Furious, maybe, maybe you should at some point, because these, like, aren't movies, they're, like, production, like, these, these, these universes are, like, I don't know, I think they could be approached differently than you would approach, like, a movie, because it's a feat mm-hmm. of production before it's, like, a feat of filmmaking. If, yeah, if I think sense. um, yeah, I I think I really like that that Brolin anecdote because when you think about people planning out years and years in movies, you usually you usually think of like people in a you know in a sterile boardroom, you know, with like PowerPoint slideshows and maybe like graphs and demographics and like charts and all that stuff. Whereas like Brolin kind of uh, depicted it as this very casual, chill, just, like, people who love comic book characters and are just kind of, like, nerding out and be like, oh, what if this character did, did this? What if this character did that? Um, and, you know, in, in kind of that, the same vein of, like, characterizing today's uh, production as, like, it's it's kind of like an assembly line almost, like, um, studios are just, like, pumping out movies, like, just mindlessly. Um, so I think having the added... Um, Having the added passion for these established characters, because you know they were already from the comic book character, already from the comic books, um, having that has kind of like been, I think, an X factor. Um, yes. Whereas, like when you when you listen to Michael Bay talk about Transformers, you know there's a lot of reverence for Transformers for like the toy line and the cartoons. Michael Bay does not have any of that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <they're, laughs> Absolutely yes. not. Yeah. The, the the other thing, which. Uh... I guess they used to do is like they would people would make one movie and then like hope for a sequel I guess right. yeah. yeah so like it was yeah so sequels are like are like an expansion pack kind of sometimes <laughs> yeah. like that's that's the right. pit, pitfall but yeah the yeah to your point it's like now it's it's different it's different now because you plan you plan like movies ahead and, I don't know yeah I, I think you, you don't pitch movies anymore you pitch franchises you pitch like, all right, there's this world, and we're gonna take a place movie here, and then in the next one, like that is how I imagine the conversations are going now. Yeah. Is it's not enough to say we're gonna make a successful movie, like you you have to say is we're gonna make a successful franchise that will continue on. Um, now, but like to Chris's point, it sounds like one big part is that like movies made based on like previously existing content. So like in this case, it's comics. In some cases, it's books, like that kind of thing. Like. It sounds like having a director or the creative people behind the movie being a fan of that original content is like critical to getting it across because they understand innately what makes it appealing to audiences because they are part of that audience. Um, and that's why that's why Bumblebee looks significantly better than any of the base stuff because 
you know, Travis Knight, he's the director. He also did Koopa and the Two Strings. Um, you see a lot, like, when you watch those trailers, they, they resemble those 80s cartoons a lot more, down to, like, the sound effects, to the character designs, and you see a lot of people more excited about this, even though, like, you know, the announcement, like, seeing on paper, oh, a Bumblebee spinoff just sounds just, just asinine to you, but you actually watch, and like, oh, this is actually a little bit, like, what I remember and what I liked. Um, so... You know, it, it it's really it really goes to show like how important it is to find the right creatives, like the actual uh, you know, boots on the ground filmmakers. So you can be politicking and negotiating in those boardrooms all you like, but it really comes down to who you actually hire. And um you see all of these attempts at franchises live and die depending on their hiring practices. Um that's why I think Marvel has really worked well, because they make good for the most part, they make good hires. Um, and then you see DC, which is just kind of faltering, and you see other stuff like, you know, I'm, I'm sure, Thomas, uh, you and I- you, Izzy and Anthony talked about this on your two-parter, but, like, you know, the, the Dark Universe. <laughs> and, well, because um, I think uh, with DC, they were looking for filmmakers who had name-brand recognition, right? Like, yeah. people who'd done similar work and who were good filmmakers in the first place. But again, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that... I don't know why I was about to call him uh, Zac Efron. That is not who made... <laughs> Zack Snyder? Zack Snyder. Um, I do Same not diff. think Zack Snyder was a fan of the source material. He was a good filmmaker with his own distinctive style. I don't think he was able to capture what was cool about the characters, like, from the fan perspective, because he wasn't one. His concept of Superman is completely contradictory to the comic book idea. Right. Which isn't necessarily awful, uh, but I think that changes should be made from the perspective of, like, some reverence for, for yeah, what came before. absolutely. Uh, and it sort of seemed like he was bored by what was available before and, and yeah. wanted to change and, things uh, radically. One more thing about Zack Snyder is that... Um, he is a director who is not as fixated on story and themes. He's more fixated on imagery. So when you watch Batman v Superman, like he he you can tell he's obsessed about um The Dark Knight Returns, as like the comic book The Dark Knight Returns that Frank Miller did, because he he pulled a lot of imagery from that. But thematically it they were not the same at all, and that story was like for lack of a better term, just plain bad. Um, I I was watch I was rewatching Watchmen last night. Actually, I fell asleep to Watchmen last night. And um, if you if you read some like anecdotes about Zack Snyder on the set, he had the comic Watchmen with him the entire time on set because he wanted it to match the exact imagery. And you can argue that maybe he didn't really like pick up on the deeper political subtext and context. So that's. Different people have different approaches, so I don't think Marvel really has anyone like that. Uh, and that is interesting to note that uh, I think that an important part is the focus on character and getting the characters right. Um, whether that means adapting what was good from the source material or whether that means sort of reinventing a character the way that I, I feel that they had to do with Thor. Um, right. Is, but keeping the stories focused on your central protagonist learning and growing, even in this ever-expanding mass of, of movies. Each one has yeah. to be about character. 
Uh, Jack, do you have any spiels or anything to say before I rant about Fast and Furious? Yeah. Oh my god. I just Please. This is like, we'll have to come up eventually, obviously, but like, the, the problem, this is like, I was gonna say it as a problem, but now Chris made me think differently about it, but there's like, like how Edgar Wright left, and uh, Christopher Lloyd and, wait, Christopher Miller and Phil, what are their names? I, keep, I always mix them up. Chris, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, or is it the other way around? <laughs> Lord and Miller, just say Lord and Miller. Yeah, Lord and Miller, because they like left due to creative differences for the, the Han Solo movie, and then like Edgar Wright left Ant Man, and uh, yeah. so the, I see these as like at first or like until uh, Chris said some stuff, and I'll get to it. I, I thought that those is like exclusively tragic, tragic, because uh, you know like I think about how Ant Man is so uh, it's so like a visual like there's so much visual comedy in that movie. And mm-hmm. uh, how Edgar Wright wrote it that way so that he could, like, make it in his own image. And yeah. uh, then he quit for some reason, and I bet the movie would have been much better. But I wonder, uh, you know, like, like when it comes to picking directors that, like, you should have, like, Edgar Wright is sick. But I wonder, like, if he doesn't really care, like, about the comic book aspect of it and doesn't have that passion. And so he was injecting his own style to the point that it, like, wasn't within the bounds of the production that Kevin and those other guys like had envisioned. And so it, but, yeah. but then you got like Taika Waititi who, <laughs> but I guess his like, they like, that was a case where Thor needed to be much different. And yeah. so he was happy to, uh, shake things like, up. like shaking things up was okay. But I guess like in the case of Ant-Man, it didn't fit the mold enough. So that's like a, right. It's yeah. Yeah. So that was like a, so, but that's like a, maybe Edgar Wright leaving was like a good thing. And not just a tragedy, because otherwise the Marvel Universe wouldn't be, like, consistent enough. And I think there are certain ways that are friendly, like, shake things up. I think Taika, like, correctly understood that, like, what is actually happening in the world is slightly less important as long as it's, like, consistent with the mythology. And that, like, what was more important was, like, uh, stripping everything away from the character of Thor so he can stop being so fucking entitled. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, like, like certain stuff like that where, like, there was a recognized need to shake things up around this stale character, whereas um, with Ant-Man's introduction, I think that it's, e- it's even more important in introductory stories to get the introduction of the character and have the story be focused around that character. So yeah. that when you throw him into new stories in the future, he's more established, people know him a little bit better, like, they, they're invested in it. Um, and I can imagine that, like, a a visual comedy um, kind of circus would have been really fun to watch, but it would have not served having that character go on to do other things in the future, yeah. right? Yeah, so so a couple, a couple things. Um, it's interesting you mentioned, you, you know, Taika Waititi is the best example of that because I think I, I've read a few interviews with him that gave very good insight on how Marvel Studios selects people. So I've always had an impression that uh, Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige and all those dudes will have their own uh, preconceived idea of, like, what these movies will be. So, you know, for example, Kevin Feige did that presentation where he showed off all the—he announced all the new films. So, like, Thor Ragnarok shows up, and it's, like, you know, fiery, apocalyptic (laughs) imagery for that logo that they show. And I, I imagine that, like, oh, this is going to be, like, a crazy, like, game-changing event where, like, Asgard gets destroyed. It's going to be this dark thing. Uh, and then they start talking to directors. So they probably have, like, a meeting with each director, and they will all give their own pitch. 
and Taika described his pitch, um, it's usually discouraged to have to bring a sizzle reel to these pitches, but Taika did, because <laughs> he's Taika Waititi. <laughs> and he brought a sizzle reel that had a lot of footage from 80s movies, most specifically Big Trouble in Little China. And he must have, like, done or said something that was so captivating to Feige and all the rest, because, like, he he got the job easily, so, like, maybe he was, like, you know, like, Kevin Feige's idea is, like, oh, this is gonna be, like, um, apocalyptic and crazy and game-changing for Thor, it's gonna transform his character the same way the Winter Soldier did for Captain America. Taika Waititi's like, oh, I wanna do this really funny thing where Thor is, like, the char- is like Jack Burton from, uh, is, is, like, the character from Big Trouble in Little China, and he's always getting into trouble, and he loses his hammer and stuff like that, yada, 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 there's a gladiator planet, and somehow... Kevin Feige was like, yeah, these ideas are compatible. So <laughs> it really is like um, the successful projects are usually like a very happy marriage of the studio and the individual ideas. And that's why maybe Edgar Wright's idea, maybe they found out later that it wasn't compatible. You know, mm-hmm. like they tried to get Ava DuVernay to make either Captain Marvel or Black Panther and they couldn't come to an agreement. So like they're like, Ava DuVernay was like, oh, I, I didn't feel like I would be making an Ava DuVernay movie with Marvel. I would be making a Marvel movie. So, obviously, like, whatever she had in mind was not compatible with their with Marvel Studios' vision. Likewise, Patty Jenkins was supposed to do The Dark World. He, she wanted to do, like, a Romeo and Juliet romance movie, and I guess Marvel just didn't really want that. So, again, they might have different ideas, but as long as they're able to fit together... Like, that's it. You can make something really weird and unique, like Ragnarok, I guess. Mm-hmm. That was good. That's good. I should finish watching Big Trouble in Little China at some yeah, point. Yeah, I, started I watched it, I it as, it. as research for Ragnarok because I, I also saw that interview and, and so I went and watched it. And, like, as I'm watching it, I was like, how can this possibly be relevant? It was a super it's weird. It's a little movie. racist, too. <laughs> it's, oh, incredibly racist. But it is weird more so than it is anything else. Um, I get it though because yeah. it's like it's a big part is like in Taika was talking about like Kirk Russell's character he's always getting confused and asking questions but he always like does something anyway the same way Thor does in Ragnarok like he, Thor yeah. is thrown in this crazy crazy world and situation and he comically fights his way through it <laughs> yeah nice yeah um I have here to talk about the use of comedy as either a strength or a downside. Um, Obviously, there's a big appeal to knowing that you're going to walk into a Marvel movie, and even if things get kind of intense, there's going to be some hefty comic relief uh, going on, which makes it more palatable while still being able to, like, tell the events of the story that you want to tell. Uh, but it has also come under fire for undercutting the emotional weight of certain scenes or films. Um, Guardians and Ragnarok are like the biggest examples of how sort of comedy is used at every possible turn and like completely infused into it. Um, I mean, what what do you think is the takeaway from this experiment? Like you, you have a wide range from like Thor The Dark World to Guardians of the Galaxy 2 in terms of how much comedy is infused into the um story do you you think that there's any evidence that like there's a correct answer um i think they've all been like 
all the funny ones, like, it's, I think it's good. Yeah? Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I guess maybe it's kind of weird that in Thor Ragnarok, literally his, like, whole planet is over. And then he, like, <laughs> it's, like, kind of, uh, like, that's, like, the saddest thing ever. And then his, like, dad died. But there's, like, a little implication of PTSD in the, um... Infinity War? In Infinity War. Yeah. So, but, like, so if in the second Infinity War, they, like talk more or he he talks more there's i assume there's going to be more addressing this uh and he's going to some way uh overcome the ptsd like in some meta with some metaphorical something he'll do um i think it'll be earned i think it'll be good but yeah it would have been more but it, i don't know it wouldn't be as fun like if it was if it was if he was actually like a ptsd person then it wouldn't be fun i mean when you look at like iron man 3 where he explicitly suffers from ptsd um, in the movie. It's just that it happens to be that Tony Stark like copes with negative emotions through comedy. Like that's his person. Um, and they've sort of said, hey, that worked really well. <laughs> Let's do that for a dozen characters. Um, but I, I mean, it, it does work. Like the jokes are funny. And if, if you, you're going in looking for a good laugh, you, you almost always get it. So, I mean, on one spectrum, yeah, it sounds like you're you're on board? Yeah, I think as I'm much. on board. I like when they're funny. Yeah. What do you think, yeah. Chris? I mean, obviously it depends on who is, um, whose voice it is. So, you know, like, Avengers 1 and 2, they have, like, they have very Joss Whedon-y quips. <laughs> so you're either already into it or already against it. <laughs> um, and then you got, like, um, you know, like, Taika Waititi, we've, we've already talked about him so much, but... Um, it, it felt like it was his own original voice. Um, and that's why, you know, if you, if you've seen like Hunt for the Wilder People or what we do in the shadows, you kind of recognize that and you kind of get a little more enjoyment out of that. Um, at the same time, in terms of undercutting stuff, like the fact that his planet blew up and then Korg, the, the character voiced by Taika Waititi kind of cracked a joke. (laughs) I don't know how that got through, but (laughs) that's kind of interesting. Uh, and likewise, that's why I like that's why I like Iron Man three a lot because, um, it it perfectly it, it's a very Shane Black movie. Like it feels more like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang two more than it does Iron Man three, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I think a few Iron Man fans did not like Iron Man three. Mm-hmm. But um, it really depends on how you use it, like when you use it, um, how it's if it's like um. When you watch Through the Dark World, a lot of the gags there felt like they were added in reshoots because someone must have looked at an early cut and someone must have been like, okay, we got to add more jokes. And like they probably added it in, in this very mathematic and not organic way. Like, oh, this will be the great time for a joke, but it kind of falls flat because it's lame or it doesn't really fit. Um, and also the, you know, the people behind For the Dark World, like some TV director did Game of Thrones, like is not really that much of a comedic voice um and that's how I, that's how i felt watching justice league the movie because they had joss whedon do reshoots and every time a joke was made on justice league you can tell it was a joss whedon edition made from a studio note that this scene was not funny enough so eventually you you get you you um train your ear to recognize when a joke is organic or not, when it comes from a real voice or when it comes from a studio note. And I think the ratio for Marvel is higher, more organic, less so studio notes, but 
Um, like, I feel like Justice League is such a prime example of, like, a very artificial-feeling movie. Like, it felt like someone was had a stopwatch and was, like, timing every single joke. <laughs> yeah, like, Thor's, like, Thor, Ragnarok is, like, the antidote because uh, Taika Waititi, like, loves improv. Yeah. So it's, like, it's, yeah. like, the most organic oh, yeah. jokes ever. I, 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 I don't know if this is true, but I don't remember where I heard this, but that he would, like, improvise uh, Korg stuff to the point that it would, like, cost a lot of money to, like, reanimate Korg speaking <laughs> jokes that aren't scripted. <laughs> so it would cost, like, 10K to, like, add his one-liner or whatever. <laughs> or, like, something crazy. And that's just, like, so oh. funny because, yeah, he's just the man. Like, what a guy. Yeah. Bless that man. I, I also love... It was... People, like, he said, like, 80% of the movie was improvised, and everyone, like, ran with that, and, like, that was, like, a headline thing. Like, 80% of Thor Ragnarok improvised. And then in a later imp- interview, he was like, well, I improvised that number, so... I know. <laughs> so funny. It just defies the kind of, like, metrics that I think Chris is talking about. <laughs> it would not be possible to leave studio notes on the length of jokes in that kind of a movie. Yeah. Like, seriously, like, Justice League, the studio mandated that this movie should be exactly two hours long. <laughs> like, no, he said, they said less than two hours long, and the movie was one hour and 59 minutes, including credits. <laughs> wow, what a bad And I was sign. like, you <laughs> Like, yo, I... This is like a... Yeah, I, I didn't see Justice League, like, I, I don't know, and I probably never will, I guess. But, uh, yeah, if you told me, like, before I saw a movie... Or no, if you just told me a movie was required to be... Under way. two hours, and it was an hour 59, I'd be like, oh, that movie sucks. <laughs> like, what a bad idea. Yeah. Or, I don't know, not a bad idea, but I guess, like, it just, the fact that it's a minute, or it's an hour 59, means that they, like, like, the edits are not organic, they're, like, forced edits. I don't know. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. if it was, like, an hour 50, they're just like, I don't know. It's just, like, what a bad sign. Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, you know, especially when you dig in deeper and find out more behind-the-scenes stuff. So I think it was the rap that had the story about how a lot of creative decisions on... Um, it, it's like a long story, and I, I couldn't tell you how one thing led to the other. But basically, studio executives wanting bonuses led to bad creative decisions yeah. on Justice League. <laughs> I I feel like the solution to a lot of these issues is that um, studios should be very upfront with their requirements for a movie. Um, and I think if you sit the director who's like prospectively going to be doing this movie down and say, hey, like this is what we're looking to get out of it. Like we do need to set up this like future plot line. Like we do need the character to go from here to there. Like those are some non-negotiable things. Also, we'd prefer like a faster paced like action movie and then just kind of get out of the way. Um, I, I feel like that is the appropriate way to do studio like director interaction is just to make the things up front and then don't when you get the final cut don't be like oh actually you know send it back to the kitchen and and get a bunch of stuff done uh it in my like observing of movies that have done reshoots or like extensive like post production intervention and editing it has never really turned out well, well and yeah 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 the uh the, well this is like what he, what Chris said about uh Taika, like, the way they, they do it is, like, directors come down and pitch their idea. Right. And so it's, like, it's also, yeah, like, Kevin has, like, a hit, like, his own little idea. And then he hears people pitch their own ideas and decides if they fit as opposed to, 
like a director. Yeah. So it is. It is like what you said. It's like Marvel does the opposite or whatever. Yeah. Like. Right. They they f- see if it's a good fit as opposed to like fitting them into yeah. something. Like like it, the difference would be is someone would pitch a movie and Kevin would be like, oh, how long do you want it to be? And they're like, oh, like it, like, <laughs> like two hours and one minute. And he'd be like, okay, well then we'll pick someone else. But like, <laughs> like we're, we're, the Justice League is the opposite, where it's like, it, you, you picked it, oh, by the way, like it has to be under two hours Right, or exactly. Yeah, 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 That's like simple, but I think that like expounds into everything. Oh, no, yeah, the because, philosophy like bleeds into yeah. the, So the Ed, where so. Edgar Wright like made it, with a mistake, I guess, would have been, like, Kevin didn't realize, and this is, like, extrapolating a lot, but, like, somebody didn't realize that Edgar Wright had an idea that didn't fit with what they thought. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but, like, the discussions with Edgar Wright, like, the very initial ones, would have happened very early on in the MCU. Oh, yeah, that was, like, a very long-running early thing, and then, you know, he had to make the world's end, which kind of delayed things, and then... It wasn't really fitting in with the plans of the first Avengers, so they kept pushing it back, and it right. was just kind of a whole so I mean you whole can, mess, you can a sort whole of see long how like mess. that initial discussion was like not informed by their experience at this point. Yeah, um, which is also I, I think, yeah. I am shocked. Like whenever I remember Lord and Miller and Solo, because they were filming the damn movie when they got fired. Yeah, <laughs> they had already shot footage, and then it was like you know Kathleen Kennedy is the equivalent of Feige. Like she was like okay. This is not working. You guys are gone. <laughs> yeah. And from what I've read from the trades, it sounds like it wasn't so... It was, like, creative differences, but it was more so um, cultural differences, like um, work culture. So Lord and Miller improvises a lot, whereas the Kasdans, who wrote the screenplay, they're, like, very by the word. You have to say the words verbatim. Yeah. And they, Lord and Miller just kept shooting so, so, so many takes, and they were getting behind schedule. So I, I, I am so shocked that, like, they could not figure out that was going to happen before they started filming that damn thing. It's crazy to me. Yeah, so, yeah there's, like, a disconnect. Like, when there's a disconnect, yeah. I guess right. it doesn't work out. This conversation, for whatever reason, is also reminding me of Breaking Bad. Um, hmm. Bec- and I think about Breaking Bad all the time because I think the big difference between TV shows that I really enjoy and TV shows I, that I don't, like, is not necessarily related to, like, the genre of the TV show or stuff like that. It's just, like, whether they had a plan, like, from the beginning. And Breaking Bad, I know they, like, knew how this story was going to play out. Like, the details were figured out, like, you know, episode by episode, but, like, they knew where this was going, like, where certain characters were going to end up and that kind of thing. Um, And then they were able to have a much more cohesive, like, fulfilling show. Because in episode one, the directors know, you know, to foreshadow the right things. Like, they know, like, to establish characters in a certain way so that they can change later. Um, And it sounds like, to some degree, that's true of of movie franchises as well. That's a very good... Thank you. That's a very good tie-in. That's a very (laughs) good uh, way to tie Breaking Bad to MCU. And I never thought of that, which is like, this is good. Because I never (laughs) thought of that, and Breaking Bad is so good. And that was the thing that, like, the reason Breaking Bad is the most revolutionary show ever <laughs> is because he was the first person, like, before that show, shows were, let's see how long we can stay on yeah, air. Exactly. And he was the first mm-hmm. one to suggest, I want to make this about, uh, he said that the, I want to make this about Mr. Rogers becoming Scarface. 
And so, like, he could have made as many seasons or whatever. He could have kept going. But he, like, he created and he, he started with an end in mind. And so he knows where Walter White ends up. So, like, and, and the other thing is that he's, like, a writer first. So he, like, created a show. But he yeah. used to write shows. So he, like, can write a good episode. He can, like, help good episodes be written. But also think like a creator. Like a, like a producer. And so that is just like what Kevin does with the barbecue. The barbecue analogy is like, yeah. he, is he, they, they like, he's, is Vince is like producing with an end in mind. And like, so for every episode, he's like, is this a good episode? He can, he knows, cause he wrote X-File. Like he write like one off X-File episodes and they would be great. Mm-hmm. But then he could also think like, and that's why I bring about it so episodic. We're like, and that's like, this like a different discussion, but like Netflix shows, they just, they have no beginning or end. And they just like every show, every episode is just like, it's just one giant movie that's yeah. ours. But like he had like like this is the episode where Pinkman and Walter White like are in the RV and they run out of gas. And then but then it like the show each one like continues their like the impending ending. So yeah, it is the same. Like that's why Breaking Bad is so good, and I guess that's why the Marvel Cinematic Universe is so good. It's like the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's really interesting you mentioned Breaking Bad because I've I've also read a lot of stories and anecdotes about how they <laughs> wrote that yeah. show. So, so like, yeah, they have the broad strokes um, kind of in mind already throughout the entire development. But when it gets to the nitty gritty, so the I'm going to spoil season two for Breaking Bad. But uh, <laughs> can we, can we, season two ends with this over. crazy like uh, airplane collision. Right. Um, and they kept foreshadowing that throughout the entire season, like down to like the episode titles foreshadowed it, which is nuts to me. They found season two to be the hardest um, season to write because they knew what the end point was. So they were trying to figure out like what to do in the middle <laughs> to have it make that to have make sense. Yeah. In contrast, the beginning of season five of Breaking Bad, the beginning of the last season rather, um, uh, has a cold opening of, like, Walter White two years later. He has a beard, and he he meets with this weapons dealer, and he opens up the trunk of a car, and there is a machine gun in the back of the car. Vince Gilligan and company, when they were writing that episode, they had no clue what that machine gun was for. (laughs) And they did not, I guess they didn't decide that until later into writing the season. So it's really interesting, like, just how that, like, you're, you, you have a general sense of how it's going to end, but you don't really know how you're going to get there, and, um, if you, if you make that end point way too strict, Mm -hmm. that kind of puts you in a corner. Yeah, because the plane thing sucked. That was bad. Yeah. That was (laughs) kind of the only thing. That is a perfect show, and then that was the word, that was bad. And that's it. I can't think of anything else. It looks cartoony, like the CGI especially. It just, it was hard to believe. so dumb. And it's like not, it's barely, (laughs) it's like not even like a, it wasn't even relate, like it wasn't, like the podcast doesn't matter. Like it does like the fact that it happened means nothing. Like it doesn't mean anything for anybody. Um, Likewise, to tie it back to the MCU, that very first post-credit scene in Iron Man 1 they put Nick Fury in there as like a, hey, it might be cool if we use him later. We don't know what we're going to do, but hey, let's just put Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury in there. When like Avengers 1 is like far, far away from being greenlit. They were just like, hey, this might be a cool thing. And then lo and behold, look at look at us now. Like Iron Man 1 was not made the same way like 
the mummy or fantastic beasts and where to find them were like where those movies are clearly trying to set up a universe like iron man one was just a straight up movie ass movie mm-hmm. that's that's uh, true and, that, and that's just like and they accidentally made a cool series after that <laughs> yeah that's just like episode, that's just like the first uh, episode of season five it's like you get you yeah, give yourself like much. a little bit yeah but you gotta but you gotta i think a bit uh, a problem and this is like but the, i will relate this back to the most but like the yeah, the sure. the fact that like shows like Netflix shows don't have a, don't have to be a certain length, and that you don't have to have like The Fly, which is like a like the, like a lot of TV every TV show has the phenomenon of like these like run, ran out of money and then they do like like these, wow episodes yeah yes that's what they're called <laughs> it's like uh, I think limitations are make better stuff like I was also talking mm-hmm. watching some interview it's the one on Netflix where. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld and David Letterman talk, and David Letterman talked about, like, his style came from the fact that the network had all these really weird rules, and he wanted to do inappropriate stuff, and so mm-hmm. he, like, came up with this style that is, like, so weird that it was just as, uh, like, he was just as satisfied, but the only reason he yeah. would have done it was because he couldn't do, like, raunchy stuff, and so to talk, uh-huh. so, like, I guess the solution nowadays with stuff like Netflix where you don't have, like, a limited episode length, and you don't have... Uh, restrictions on rating systems is that like something like Breaking Bad which was an hour show but that doesn't matter the point is like they gave themselves a little bit of a rule yeah. that they have to end a certain way and so like maybe Iron Man you can like relate that to it where like they gave like a little bit so like you have to you have to restrict yourself a little bit and not enough that you have to make the planes collide for no reason absolutely and I, I think that the <laughs> the relationship the relationship between studio and director can have that mutually bolstering effect where the studio brings some limitations to the table and then lets the creative play within those rules and come up with something great. Uh, and the, the creative gets sort of a challenge that they can, they can overcome. I, I think that that relationship can exist um, in, in like this balance. Yeah, because like unlimited money and time like usually makes bad movies. I think. Yeah. And that's like a big, that was like big of me to say. There were like a lot of temple movies in the 80s. Like, what's the one like at Heaven's Gate? Was like, there were like a lot of movies that like, where mm. people get unlimited. Like, even like Stanley Kubrick, everyone's like, everyone speaks about him like he could did everything he wanted all the time. But he like admits that he had like, he had to make stuff on the fly and like, I don't know. Like, there, there's something to having a, uh, having boundaries that like makes creativity flow. Yeah. So like the producer director relationship is about establishing boundaries that don't make it like your movie has to be under two hours and it becomes an an hour fifty nine, but it doesn't give you like you don't go all over the place. I guess I sat through all of Barry Lyndon, man. That freaking movie. Oh, I never saw that. I, you know what? That's another movie I'll never see. It's so long. <laughs> it, it's like so, oh cool. He lit some of the scenes with can, with candles. Like great. Good, yeah. good for you, Kubrick. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah, some of those, yeah, too long. Like, yeah, you should have given, been given more. When did, that was, like, later in his career or earlier? I don't remember. Uh, that was pretty, uh, the, yeah, it was somewhere in the later half, like... Yeah, maybe that's when they came You know, pre-wise eyed shut, but, like, uh, around The Shining, I think. I don't know, maybe before The Shining. Okay. Would we I like to move it. on to some failings that we could potentially also learn from? feelings um well that's the uh, like the fact that edgar wright couldn't make a movie right and he like yeah. he, everything he touches is, is incredible and he's the best so <laughs> you know yeah, yeah 
there there are certain types of genuinely good movies that are not allowed by the restrictions. Yeah, yeah, and I I would have really liked to have seen a movie that Edgar Wright directed that was like like Ant Man is written because since he wrote it, it's like written to be like an Edgar Wright movie. Yeah, and uh, he what an opportunity like. Before, like, if, if you told Edgar Wright, like, about the concept of people who can shrink and then fight and then, like, they can make little objects become big and big objects become little. Yeah. Like, that's, like, a, like a big part of his comedy is, like, yeah, just that, that physicality, like, the physical opportunity is so, would be so good for him. I'm trying to think of an example in, like, a live action. It's, like, shrinking. I don't know. That, that's not the point. <laughs> but like yeah just the fact that it's so physical and so visual like he could have made something so sick but it didn't fit with the producer boundaries um even though we have like faulted things like the mummy and fantastic beasts and justice league about for like for too much world building um you know i think iron man 2 was very much the first so mcu movie that was criticized for that yeah um it, it was a very strange movie because uh, Samuel Jackson would just show up as Nick Fury in the middle of the movie, and you're expected to just know who Nick Fury is. Whereas, if you're a casual moviegoer and you missed that post credit scene, you will have no clue why the hell Samuel Jackson has an eye patch and is in this movie in the middle all of a sudden. <laughs> and uh, it just kind of added to... There was already a lot of chaos in that story. Um, so... I don't know. It's it's really interesting listening to these behind the scenes uh, qualms that people have. Like it, it sounded like Josh Whedon did not have a good time uh, making Age of Ultron uh, because he was given like restrictions and ultimatums. Like he he had already shot the film and he you know brought it up to them and the studio was like, okay, we don't like Hawkeye's farm and we don't like Thor's vision quest in the cave. You have to shorten one of those, <laughs> so it's like, so I can imagine, yeah, Whedon, if like if both of those were like, kind of like things he's attached to to have to kill his darlings is like a really frustrating uh, thing. Um, so you know, like even though we kind of cha- like champion the studio director relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean it's perfect. Um, I mean, you know, the fact that like like it, I think a lot of it has to do with the space, like you know. Thomas, you guys are talking about the corners of the MCU. So James Gunn would probably have a lot of room to do cosmic and space stuff because that has been untouched right. mm-hmm. by the MCU. Whereas like maybe Edgar Wright doing more like Earth-based stuff would have more restrictions and be like, oh, you have to tie this in with S.H.I.E.L.D. You have to tie this in with Tony Stark, some yada, 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 yada. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It's really impossible to find a consistency of this because it's, it really sounds like it's a case by case basis, and you know, like Marvel's always learning stuff, so they're always changing their philosophy. Um, so it's really hard to kind of like pin down particular faults because you know they all happen at different times; they're doing different things all the time. Um, it's 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 a hard question to answer, you know. Um, although I can imagine like a lot of people. Like, some people just don't like superheroes, and that's fair. Um, And are tired of, like, so many of these in the movies. So, you know, if you get a casual moviegoer to try to watch Civil War, like, they're not going to give a crap about the airport fight scene. Because they don't have any investment on any of these people because they don't care about these movies. So, 
Um, I think it was Marcus and McFeely, the uh, the screenwriters of uh, the Cap movies and Infinity War and the sequel. They were like, okay, yeah, by Civil War, we're not going to do previously on the MCU. You have to actually watch all these movies to get caught up. Like, if you were not with us already, you're not going to follow this at all. So that is a... The fact that the screenwriters of the movie said that probably represents something. Like, probably represents... Maybe not a fault, but like a an asterisk. Yeah, you know? yeah. asterisk is a better word. That's a good word. Yeah, it it definitely and that problem only gets worse. Like the the longer your <laughs> successful series goes, yeah. like the just the harder it is for new people to break into it. Like even people who are into it get fatigue with the same concept. Um, so I I think that that is like a a good lesson is just like you need a wider range um, and less connected might be better. Like these massive crossover movies are like the biggest strain on the movie going audience's ability to like understand what's going on and the creative people's to fit within all of the constraints. Let me, uh, I think I disagree with you. Okay. So the counterpoint is that <laughs> I have not seen, I didn't see dark worlds. I didn't see Ant-Man. I saw half of Civil War. I didn't see Winter Soldier. And let me think of another one. Uh, I think that was all the ones I didn't see. I didn't see Iron Man 3. Or maybe I did. I don't even I don't know. I didn't see two. One Fiery of people? Any, does it ring a bell? Yeah, I remember he like got rid of all his suits. Was that three? That was three. That was three. Okay, so then I saw three. But like me, like, uh, I like, like it doesn't, there's like a, a half, half fan. I'm like a half fan. Like, I'm like a two-thirds fan. <laughs> but I, like, Infinity War was so awesome. Like, I thought it was so sick. And I didn't think I was missing mm-hmm. out. And, like, I didn't feel alienated. There's, like, kind of, like, I get used to, like, Ant-Man wasn't in it, so I guess that didn't bother me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it was, like, okay. Like, I, there is, like, a, they don't, it's not that, it's not that much of an exclusive club. I think they're trying, yeah. they don't do, like, a, I don't think they were thinking... Okay, now let's now that we're everyone's on board, let's make like if you're in the club, if you've seen the movies, then you can handle this movie. But I guess the the maybe it's a more reasonable like okay, well we're not gonna do previously on like we're just like we're gonna assume you have an idea of what's going on. But mm-hmm. I think they're pretty like I've been able to go in and out, watch stuff later that's from before, and like it, there's you can you can be a casual Marvel person, I would say. Yeah. I, I think, ironically, Infinity War did a better job catching people up than Civil War did, despite Infinity War having way, way more people. Um, part of it is because Thanos is such a distinct antagonist that, like, scene number one, okay, that's the bad guy, he wants to get these things, and everyone else has to stop him. That is really easy to figure out and follow. Whereas Civil War, it's like, these are all pre-established characters. They make passing remarks to things that have happened in previous movies, and they are all fighting each other for reasons that I don't understand. I don't understand the nuances of because I have not seen the previous movies. <laughs> yes, that's true. And that's that's a big deal. Is I think in Infinity War you introduce groups of characters to each other, and there has to be mm-hmm. a little bit of catch up for them. Yeah. Like yeah. we're the Guardians. He's a tree. He hates that. You know, like, you, you need to have that so that Tony Stark understands, but that means your audience understands, yeah. too. Civil yeah. War, everyone kind of knew each other already. Yeah, that's a good, uh, I bet they did. There was, that was like a, somebody must have. Oh, yeah. 
thought sure. that like Absolutely. I thought that a good idea. Like, oh, this is sick because, yeah, it doesn't slow down. It's not previously on, but it is. Which like- which speaks to I think um, how important it is to keep introducing new elements and keep mixing up the universe. Like, not because you're trying to add complexity, but actually because you're trying to reduce it. Um, and yeah. I I think that as different from like a tv show like it's very hard to jump into a tv show in like season five because for the most part it's the same set of characters that have been going along and like they've had hours and hours of adventures that you haven't seen and they like all know about it um whereas in movies when you bring in new characters or have new adventures or like meet new antagonists like you require a little bit of a reset like you you need to be like here are things this person changes things, so now they're different, and you're caught up, you know? Um, at the same time, like, it, it is... It, the problem does get hard when you introduce everybody to each other like they did in Infinity War. Like, now the Guardians know, the Avengers know, Wakanda know. Like, like yeah. they're all mixed together now, and it, you have to keep yeah. adding new things and keep changing things up. And, and with their so... reluctance to kill off characters... <laughs> It like, it it does balloon. What do you got, Chris? That is the problem with comic books. That is why I cannot read comic books because they have been going on for decades and decades and decades, and that they have that problem that you just described, Thomas, but like exponentially worse. And the way comic books try to solve that problem is by rebooting and retconning like every few years, and it gets to the point where it is absolutely impossible to follow i have no clue what is happening in any of the co- in any of the dc or marvel comics right now because they will restart the universe they will retcon things and you have to you have to like do a lot of research if you want to like stay current it's really impossible unless it's like a new character so like you know i can probably pick up like miles morales or like kamala khan now but if I wanted to know, like, what Peter Parker and Carol Danvers are doing now, right now, I'd be like, what the f- what is happening? <laughs> like, what are they t-? And, um, that's why I hope, um, the MCU stays grounded and doesn't, um, I hope they don't do, like, their Crisis on Infinite Earths thing. I hope they don't do... I hope if they if it comes to a point where like every ten years there is an Infinity War event to restart the entire universe and the timeline. I mean that could work because like movie reboots it can get new audiences, but it would it would just be confusing, man. <laughs> That's just my thought on that. Comic books I, are bad. <laughs> I hope they take the perspective of allowing, and I think they are. This is my theory for Infinity War. So potential spoilers for Infinity War Untitled. But um, sure. <laughs> my theory is that the the old OG Avengers are gonna are gonna die and and stay dead, um, and that that they'll bring back the characters who were snapped away, and those are mostly new characters on the younger side. They're the next generation, and then in a few years, those characters will give way to the new generation, and so forth. So you sort of have a stable number of like. 12 superheroes at, at any given time with some so, oscillation. So that's what I want them to do? Yes. We ha- You would have to have a lot of faith in Disney, though. I would. Because I feel like <laughs> most other studios would be like, oh, no, this is not going to work. We need Tony Stark. So if we can't keep Robert Downey Jr. on, 
we're just going to recast Tony Stark. Um, rather than like, you know, like, well, we need, we need Steve Rogers. We're going to recast, you know, instead of recast, instead of making Sam Wilson or making Bucky Barnes the new Captain America, they would recast Steve Rogers. Um, that's, you know, that's how Sony has done (laughs) Spider-Man. And that's why, like, I, it, it will be the equivalent of like, you know, say Sony made the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, and then they made, say, a Spider-Man 4 or 5, where Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man dies, or something like that. And then the next movie will be a Miles Morales movie, and Miles Morales is now Spider-Man. Sony would never do that, because they believe in Peter Parker too much. So it really depends on, like, if Disney is confident if Marvel wanted to take the legacy route, and have new characters replace the old ones, rather than just, like, James bonding it up. We we're a little off topic, but I I will say that I think that Kevin Feige is the the bulwark against the Disney greed. I I think that he's I hope so. <laughs> I think that he is the only guy standing in between them recasting characters and and keeping them on forever. I I think he's the person saying like no 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 the right the right move is to we have Black Panther we're we're gonna continue making a billion dollars a year. Don't worry like we can let go of some of these characters that like we've just we've done everything we can with i'd like that no but, this is uh i think you guys are this is like like james bond it's like J- every james bond incarnation was like has a different style and it's like a different a different mm. uh uh like way to be james bond and they're in a little bit of a rut because daniel craig's been doing it for a long time and it's like i don't they, they can't go back to like campy i guess but i <laughs> I, would, I would be excited at the idea of giving the spy, like the Superman origin story to somebody new and like doing it in a different way and seeing it again because we've seen it like well I thought the appeal of comic books in general was that you could pick up like a series and we like know Batman's story a little bit but then it's mm-hmm. like people put it into like a new style and like yeah. uh, and oh totally so like yeah. like rebooting sounds bad but I don't think it is like I, I don't think it's inherently a bad like I don't think I think it would be sick that in like if in 10 years we started, we did like a Tony Stark as like a, I don't know, like, like a, a part of his life we haven't seen yet or something like him. I don't know. Like, like the, we've got all this cultural baggage with these characters and I think it's like a fun way to play with what we know about them by like doing them in a way that's different, but already like stuff we already know. Um, in our Corners of the MCU episode, uh, Anthony was really harping on the idea of like a, a what if movie, like just not related to the continuity, but it is like, what if, you know, one of Tony Stark's like major creations blew up and, and, you know, destroyed his workshop or something. And like, you get to have that character with all of the familiarity you have with them while knowing that this is not going to feed into the next movie. Just like I like that, but I don't think they would ever make that into an actual theatrical movie. Maybe like a short film or a a streaming TV show. But um, when you start releasing alternate reality <laughs> movies, that's gonna get confusing to the general consumer. Yeah. Um. Let's at the we're closing in on the one hour mark on the recording, so let's transition into our like central thematic question, which is non-action blockbuster movies, just like movies that are not in the action genre, movies that might not be as big, but still want to 
capture this this wide audience still want to be have this sort of like general appeal to people um what of these things that we've talked about can they learn and adapt and, and use how how do movies from the mcu like, from like learn from the mcu but like play it forward into very different contexts i think i think that there's nothing to learn because you won't because because if we've noticed like to this is I, i'm glad i get an opportunity to say this but if we if you've like looked at what we've talked about today it is nothing to do with filmmaking at all this has been a production discussion there's no filmmaking in here it's like who who casts who schedules constraints like a the creative process but never about like like, very rarely have we mentioned, like, I don't know, like, this story or this... Like, we have mentioned character, but more character in the context of a production environment as opposed to, like, a director and, like... You know what I... Like, does that... Yeah. Am I, is that true? Like, do people... Yeah, does absolutely. that make sense? I get what you mean, So, yeah. like, for a movie to think, like, when someone's trying to make a movie, like, Greta Gerwig's trying to make Lady Bird, there is nothing that the MCU universe can help <laughs> with at all. The Lady Bird cinematic universe. Yeah, like, if you're not trying to make a cinematic universe then you shouldn't, like, there's no takeaway. But if you are trying to make a cinematic universe, like, like, a, like no, Lady Bird could not be, could not take any advice from it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be Lady Bird. I sure. Guess. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I, but, but that would, in a, not to be, like, that in a way kind of discredits the topic of lessons from the superhero. Sure. It's, I guess it is more about, it's like, if you are an action movie or, like, you know, like, trying to take, uh, like, Godzilla and King Kong, and put them together, like with that movie, it's like MCU. Take notes, like everything. You can take everything from it. Notice the trade-off, which is that you know, there's like it's a product. It's production first, to directing second. So Edgar Wright can't do well necessarily, and then all the benefits are like, yeah, you got to treat it like a barbecue and not like an assembly line. I guess are sure. the things I would say. I mean, don't you think that there's still something, even if you are a studio that, like, is going to finance an indie movie called Lady Bird, do, do you not, like, take note that you can still um, sort of have some goals for, for what that's going to be, make those goals, like, up front and let the creative, like, run with it? Um, you know, that comedy, especially self-aware comedy, especially, like, genre-specific comedy... Like aware, being aware of the tropes and stuff like that is highly in, very popular, and like does not mean that you can't tell the story that you want. It, it's just uh, sort of a, well, a mindset. I mean, if 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 you know, using comedy as an example, I mean, <laughs> sorry, I keep using Lady Bird as our. Uh, <laughs> that, it, that's here, apparently the like, vehicle for the conversation now. Yeah, sure, but like you know, like Thor Ragnarok and Lady Bird both have a lot of humor. But they both use humor for very in very different contexts and very for very different purposes. Um, Lady Bird, because like it's it's you know realistic, it's relatable. You know we've we've kind of experienced the same thing. Like Sir Ronan is has kind of experienced in Lady Bird, whereas Thor Ragnarok, it's like again, it's a big trouble in Little China homage. It's like what's Thor gonna do next? Kind of thing. You know, like there it's it's um. Yeah, I, I I get the question, but I I cannot think of a single thing that like you know I I don't think there's anything you know like Paul Thomas Anderson or David Lynch would like want to take from uh, the MCU because they're very they're very big picture 
and um not to say that I think the MCU has had very excellent filmmakers, but not a lot of them are like alters. None of them are very um distinct individual voices the same way like you know, like I said, P.T. Anderson, David Lynch, and I you know, Greta Gerwig. Um when you listen to the commentary for MCU movies, they are always inspired by other movies. Um, whereas, like, when you watch a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, like, maybe there's some, like, Robert Altman vibes, but it's very, like, oh, this is, like, something that only Paul Thomas Anderson can do. This is something that only Quentin Tarantino can do. Um, so everyone has their influences, but I feel like, um, there isn't really as much room in the MCU to, uh, I feel like I'm veering away from the topic. Do Am I making sense here? <laughs> Okay, yeah. No, yeah. yeah. No, um it's it 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 does sound like a lot of the more uh independent original creative works um sort of like are pioneering new ideas and new techniques and stuff like that. And then larger franchises get to sit back and say, Oh, that was good. Yeah. Like that went well, I liked yes. that. Let me pull that in. You know, I I didn't like the rest of it though, so we're gonna leave that. And so like the experimentation goes on in these in these more yes. like independent films, and then th- yeah. these and franchises just get to reap it's, the benefits. It's the of other that way around. It's the MCU they, learning they from those to. movies, because um, that is why Kevin Feige hires a lot of independent yes. directors, yes. like people like you know like just coming off Sundance Film Festival, like um, people who have made low budget movies and maybe who have ambitions for like larger blockbuster movies. Um, so like you know. Fleck and Bowden are making Captain Marvel, and, like, I've seen, you know, I've only seen one movie of theirs, it was Half Nelson, and, uh, you know, very low budget, Ryan Gosling movie, and, um, you know, if I, if I were to show you Half Nelson, you would not be, neither of us would be able to explain why they're making Captain Marvel right now, <laughs> but, um... What the, where the hell was I going with that? <laughs> Basically, it, I, I'm, I'm trying to say that, like, they are like the MCU in making independent in making like individual movies. They are trying to learn from other films outside of the cinematic universe model, um, while also trying to make those distinct movies uh, palatable to their larger universe. Whereas it doesn't really work the other way around, because it sounds like Thomas. It sounds like you're asking, what can one independent movie? learn from a larger set of movies where like i i would concede like maybe any movie no matter who made it can learn like how to do action from the winter soldier or how to do comedy from thor ragnarok but you know you can't make a sundance film festival movie and be like what can i learn from the mcu and kevin feige as a whole fair um there there's one note that we didn't get to earlier that i'm gonna like pull out as like my last ditch defense of this premise <laughs> okay um i didn't i don't mean to like I, I shit that... all over your entire thesis i'm just like <laughs> <laughs> no and that this is like this is gonna be interesting because it's gonna be i think the only episode where like the the central like question is just the answer is no <laughs> yeah, but that is that is a thesis yeah right it's like he's saying that there is no similarity is like saying something because that requires you to say okay well then how are they different so it's not in vain, but yeah. it's just and I, not. I, I, and to be fair, like I'm, 
I'm saying you are right. I'm just saying switch them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, the only thing I, I will say is that um, what made me think about this was thinking about like the moment that you have when you watch these movies. And it, it's very difficult to describe, but it, it's just the fuck yes moment where you are just gripped with this like excitement and carried away by how like amazing what you're watching on screen is and you can like go to a bad movie in the superhero like fiction and like still get that moment at one point or another um and i think what that is about is it's about wish fulfillment and it's about like the escapism that comes from a story where what you wish could happen in real life is played out so you get to vicariously experience that. Um, and I think that the whole concept of superheroes is deeply tied into this, like, I wish I could fly. I wish I could throw a car. Like, I wish that I could fly to Afghanistan and kill all the terrorists and no one else um, and make it home by dinner, right? Like, that feeling of, like, getting to see your fantasies, like, recreated on screen and getting that catharsis is... a huge part in my opinion of why people go to see movies like the general public like most folks like want to see this amazing thing that could never happen in real life like play out on screen um and i think that in a lot of cases of independent movies um there is this sort of obsession with being a little bit like darker now being a little bit more like gritty and, and realistic and, and showing like the dark side of things and I totally like understand where that drive comes from but I, I think that that um, alienates a lot of people who are coming to movies for like for hope for a feeling of enjoyment and, and being able to step out of the constraints of reality and I think that that's something that movies can keep in mind is like oh yeah like light-hearted um enjoyable like wish fulfillment escapism is still one compatible with a lot of different types of stories mm -hmm. and two like still very much at the core of um major entertainment what what kind of movies do you have in mind when you were thinking about that because you're you're kind of making it sound like cormac mccarthy is writing every single indie movie right now <laughs> no i mean it's obviously not all uh yeah. <laughs> and um, probably not most but um there's there's just a lot of like I don't know. I went to go see like The Shape of Water. Mm -hmm. Um and there were some like nice parts of that movie. Um but I I felt like they it really dragged you through the mud in that there was like there were so many bad things that happened over the course of the thing. Um and you get this moment at the very end where like water magic happens. Um and it, it's sort of it intended to be like a happily ever after with them in in the river and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I didn't have like a fuck yeah moment in, in that instance, because I feel like that was not the conflict that I was invested in. Okay. Yeah. I just, I'm yeah. trying to stop myself from going on a three hour rant about Guillermo del Toro movies and how he writes monsters. <laughs> but okay, I see your do you point. watch the, uh, do you watch the video about monsters? The Captain Christian video? I will cue that up now because I. That is literally, you're going to die. This is the best video ever. If, you, <laughs> okay. if, you, if that's a thing that you right. we're linking that. Uh, in the episode but, uh, yeah, I, I guess I wonder if Guillermo del Toro like. Uh, yeah, there's like, there is no, there is no. The payoff is not that as exciting as a super right. movie. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, just part of me, and like, not to, uh, part of me is just like I feel like independent, like uh, it's just too, like too broad of a thing to say. Sure. I mean, I can't think of an independent movie right now that has like the sickest payoff, but they're just smaller. It's just like a smaller movie, so the payoff can never be huge. Like, there's no like explosion or final victory. No, but you could um, win one up on your social rival. Or make a dramatic wedding proposal at the end of a you know rom com or something like that. You know, I wonder if like in the independent wharf environment, that's like cheesy. Like it, like Ladybird has like such a cute ending that is like a good payoff, I think. But yes, yeah, it isn't. It isn't like a big payoff. No. But I don't think a big payoff would have suited Ladybird at all. Sure, and it, it's it's not appropriate for. So I, all types yeah, of but this is like I mean this is, we have to be so careful because literally like. We're talking, like, we're saying, like, advice to movies that aren't franchises. It's yeah. like, what? Like, that's, Not like, blockbusters. almost every movie. Yeah, that aren't blockbusters. And, like, yeah. but, yeah. Uh, yeah, the big pay- I'm trying to think of, like, a, a huge payoff that's in an indie movie. But I guess indie, it just doesn't, I don't know if indie is the right world to have big payoffs. I guess in the 80s, like, every movie had a big payoff. But those are all blockbuster <laughs> movies. I, I, I think that the idea of a storybook happy ending is considered, like, dated. Yeah. It's no longer, like, I don't know. Well, it was, like, this is, like, a tangent, but, like, sure. movie trends to generalize American cinema. It's, like, the golden age, everything was a big payoff. And then at the end of production code, they decide they every, everything was gritty from the 60s and 70s. The 80s reinvigorated Blockbuster, and then 90s was like a tent, tent pole and the failure of tent pole, <laughs> and then now we, then it was like the like the recording at home, like digital digital age where anyone can record anything, and so now I don't know what what era we're in. We're we're in the 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 franchise era, the like universe era, super so franchise, the super <laughs> franchise era. So I don't know what to make of so post franchise era. Assuming that this trend is just another phase of of cinema, um, which I I think we would all hope for. We would all hope that even if we love these, like we want the way people make movies to keep evolving. Um, what what is the legacy of this era? Like, what is the takeaway from franchises as as like we go into the next trend? Yeah, maybe that's like a good. That's like how. That's like the question rephrased in yeah. a way that's less. Uh, like production versus auteur or whatever. Um, yeah, what would be the legacy of like when French when like the universe these universes get get tired? Yeah, I guess you're right. Like there would be like uh, people would have to get epic and escapist in movies with lower budgets. If these if if like if like franchises like this these universes were like banned, yeah. how would <laughs> how would independent creators like? like uh facilitate that that inherent need exactly and uh i don't know i guess there would be i don't know that's a good that's i I, I lived to the cinematic universe prohibition (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I think some of the main points are um because we talked a lot about the push and pull between studios and filmmakers and it has fluctuated with Marvel a lot, but I think there have been several cases where you find um, where they were able to coexist uh, pretty well. 
So, like, the Taika example, for example, like, that is probably, like, a landmark uh, <laughs> prime example of, like, how of how you can balance between having a commercial film and a passion project. So, I think that's definitely one thing to keep in mind moving forward. Um, one thing we haven't really talked about, and that, because this is not really what the episode is about, but I think one secret to success that has made Marvel more successful than the Dark Universe <laughs> um, is... The plan is to emulate long-form storytelling from other mediums. So, emulating, you know, television in a way, but mostly comic books. You're making comic book movies. Whereas, if you look at, like, um, the way... If you look at, like, the way WB is handling Harry Potter right now, the Wizarding World, let's call it, their solution is, oh, we have to make more movies. <laughs> and that's it. Like, not... <laughs> not um, We have to... Like, Marvel is getting, like, different franchises from different, like, as you said in that episode, corners of the universe, um, hiring specific people for each of those corners and making an own unique thing that all fit together... Whereas, like, if you if you watch Crimes for Grindelwald, it's literally the same names who made the old Harry Potter movies, just stretching it out as long as possible to make more money. Um, so it's good that we have successful and not successful examples. I mean, wouldn't you say uh, though we that they're, they're trying to emulate the success of a book series? Uh, their I mean, their thing is yeah. not comic books, but their thing is this book series did well. Let's match the tempo let's make another that. series like, and like i bad bad idea <laughs> and if you're gonna make a different series get a different author and not the same author <laughs> yeah it could have been good oh yeah i i it, saw the potential absolutely. in the first one i i don't know i yeah, hate he, okay the first fantastic beasts <laughs> we is... we have to save this for an off topic i know well let me just say this really quickly but like um <laughs> the way i've the way um, people who hate the MCU, the way they feel about watching something like Civil War or Infinity War, that's how I felt watching the first Fantastic Beasts. Because I was like, wait, there is no beginning or end to the movie. It is just the middle of a movie that is just setting up four more movies. Right. So whenever I hear people say that about the MCU, I'm like, oh, you're crazy. But like, I felt that way while watching Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. And let me tell you, I am actually a Harry Potter fan. <laughs> My first words after watching The Crimes of Grindelwald, like the, the credits came up, was that was not a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was not like, Ugh. it was not, never intended to be its own story. Um, and I, I think that that's important to keep in mind is that there's, there's a balance not just between um, sort of the creative constraints and the, the creative people working on it, but there is a balance between um connection and like independency and like mm -hmm. you need to make sure that each installment is its own story um and like real life works like that it's it's not like that hard to emulate like every day is its own day where you woke up and you did stuff and you went to bed and it's like contained um it's just like really important not to set your story like until the afternoon. <laughs> it's like breaking, right. This is like Breaking Bad. This is what yeah. Breaking Bad does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's need like good every episodes. Every episode has its own 
beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Hey, can I talk about Better Call Saul for two hours now? Because I love that show. Uh, Maybe not that long, but... uh. (laughs) My dude, you gotta finish Better Call Saul. I mean, it's not not over over yet, but like... Is it as good? What's it... How does it compare to Breaking Bad? It is very good, and it's it, it has the same visual language, but it is very okay. good in a totally separate and unique way, and I love it. Nice. It's the first first three seasons are on Netflix. It's I, I ah okay. That's like Chris is starting to break down. Bad universe. Yeah, it's like a universe. Yeah, it is. they're making a movie. They're making a yeah, movie about Jesse Pinkman, and it's gonna be awesome. So we did. Is is it okay if I tangent into the the class, Chris? Into the what? Into the, the Stuco. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we, the, so Chris is. created a class at Carnegie Mellon basically to talk about, like, this this stuff. Um, and I was late. I was the third teacher to teach the class. And, like, that's who, like, does this. And You were sitting like, in the first class. What do you hmm? mean a class? So like a, Carnegie Mellon has, like, a, a, a program up. where you can make, like, so say like a regular class at CMU is nine units. Um, basically, this would allow students to make an official three-unit class. Uh, so the teachers, the quote-unquote teacher will get credit and the students will get credit. So I literally made a curriculum where I taught other students about something. So you have like you have like a, like a class on sneakers. You have a class on Doctor Who, a class on Star Wars, a class on knitting, a class on they were, programming. There were also classes on like java and like android development yeah very cool what a cool idea yeah Yeah. um so the the only what you took his class i took his class and then i taught his class did you get an a yes (laughs) well i got a a passing pass fails yeah um but the the only like major assignment we've had in that class is to present on another universe um just some other like uh, intellectual property that does like interconnected, but not a series. Um, and I'm ex- I, I don't think anyone's done Breaking Bad, but like that's a very that's an extremely valid topic for one of those presentations now. Um, yeah, no, that's it, that's some interesting stuff because over the course of time, you get like to see that there are like a lot of different ways of doing continuity. Yeah, because there was like a, I saw what's the one about money laundering, the Netflix show. Uh, is that Ozark or Ozark? Yeah, Ozark. Okay. It's a lot like Breaking Bad, but it doesn't do that episodic thing. It just kind of mm. keeps going. It's a big ten-hour movie. I, I'm too spoiled by Better Call Saul to even try Ozark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not worth it. Don't bother. <laughs> just keep watching that. Because man, Vince Gilligan's off. What a he's an American treasure. Because <laughs> he like the two the two pinnacle American genres are the western and the gangster, and uh, those are just mm. so American. Yeah. And, uh, but they, but they obviously, this is like not related at all. But they like obviously take from the Italians and the French, or whatever. <laughs> but uh, the fact that Vince Gilligan has harnessed the Western by making his stuff in the desert and and then gangster because it's like crime. Right. What mm-hmm. a oh, what a guy. Huh. And just very exciting. Very great guy. Very impressive. So uh, is it time for my Fast and Furious rant? Yeah, I, sure. I think it might be time for uh, closing remarks. Actually, Chris. can you tie it to the topic? <laughs> That would make you I okay I here so here's the thing I know the general idea of where my rant will end but I don't know what will happen in the middle Oh perfect just Some like uh, <laughs> breaking wow, bad in the MCU good, very good. <laughs> Amazing Um if you are interested in a Fast and Furious rant uh, I highly recommend Patrick H Williams uh 
why Fast and Furious is great. Oh yeah, or I, I his love thing that is. guy's videos. Um, that it, it, like that's my go-to to like try and explain to people why it's not awful. <laughs> right. Well, here's my take on how it's awful because this will probably relate to what we just talked about. <laughs> okay, we're gonna do we'll it. See if I think I, we'll see if I can relate to it. To it. Okay. So you All right. Say it. Let's flash back to 2001. <laughs> Holy moly. Okay, no, well, that, well, that's when the first fat, The Fast and the Furious came out. And it was just, like, this kind of, like, niche um, car culture uh, movie. And, you know, it was just, like, these dudes stealing VCRs and there were street races and, like, pretty scandally clad women and stuff like that. Um, then you, you get to, like, okay, we have to make a sequel because this, this movie found an audience. Maybe not a mainstream audience, but it found an audience regardless and they made Too Fast, Too Furious. It was a stupid movie. Then they made Tokyo Drift, which was borderline, like, direct-to-DVD schlock. Like, the name <laughs> The Fast and the Furious um, really didn't mean anything by that point, except just a brand name. And when you look at those first three movies, they had very little to do with each other, and they had, like, different casts of characters. So, Tokyo Drift was directed by Justin Lin, who is a director I admire very much. He did he did the fourth movie, which was just called Fast and Furious. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they brought in the old cast from the first movie back, while also like making references to like Tokyo Drift. Um decent movie, kind of middling. Then you make Fast Five, the fifth Fast and Furious oh. movie, also by Justin Lin. So what Fast Five did was it took all the characters from the Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, Tokyo Drift, and the fourth Fast and Furious movie, and they added Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and they repurposed this weird street car racing underground culture thing into an international heists, oceans trilogy kind of thing. And they took these weird, disparate characters from all these different movies and combined them all together. And I, lo- I they accidentally made an amazing ensemble cast. <laughs> Completely unintentionally. And then, Vin Diesel being very involved in his own movies... He hones in on... And people make fun of this, but like it's, it really, it's really a thing that works. He's like, okay... Fast and Furious is about family. Like, these are all guys, like, who drive cars really fast, but in the end, they are a family. So when you watch the later half of the Fast and Furious movies, they keep saying the word family, 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 over and over again. Um, so... It accidentally turned... They accidentally turned Fast and Furious from a niche film into a superhero-like film franchise with a large cast of characters, an expanding universe, and a very simple theme that's easy to relate to, the theme of mm-hmm. family. And I gotta say, like, the action, because, like, these movies are getting, like, bigger budgets, they are just looking better and better with each iteration. And I am shocked of, like, how, even though, like, the three first three movies are unweighted, how they have somehow, like paid attention to the continuity of the Fast and Furious franchise to make a consistent, like, 
crazy franchise that actually makes sense story-wise and plot-wise. I mean, it doesn't, like, the actual plot is absurd, but the fact that they keep making obscure callbacks to their own history and have, like, created their own lore, I think, is this really astounding accidental achievement because there's no way anyone was planning to do this. What I'm saying is that <laughs> the Fast and Furious franchise was the MCU before the MCU was the MCU. And that's my spiel on that. <laughs> Very good. That was good. Well, the relation is that this is not a feat, that was not a feat of filmmaking, but a feat of production. Yeah. Which is how yes, it's like the MCU. Yeah, you can and, you can say you can say like the um like the like the story element of like you know family is like kind of the, uh but you know that that can also be like a focus word buzz focus group buzzword kind of thing you know depending on how you look at it. Um, I will say the the other similarity is that the different creative people who worked on each movie create like very different styles that yeah. all like like the continuity is is congruent like the characters are like track all the way through but like you get very different takes on car racing <laughs> through like the the various franchises like <laughs> yeah. including like the first maybe not the first movie but like there was a period of time in the middle where like the camera zooming down into the engine during the race was like a big thing <laughs> um and like you know later on you just get like vin diesel driving a vw bug in cuba while it yeah. is on fire like it's you, you can very you different. can see the same progression with the mission impossible franchise because yeah. it has been around they're a very little similar longer in than my mind furious yeah they make these movies like all international because that's where all the money's at yeah like i think fast and furious is like the way like china and i guess europe i don't know but i know china specifically like they yeah. see it's like an american movie yeah yeah it's like very american but they like go I to china in a movie and they have like a chinese actor i haven't seen them but i think that's what they do like a lot of these international they like, <laughs> have like a china segment usually and then they iron like, man 3 did that oh it did did mission they had they had a scene that was exclusive to chinese audiences where a chinese heart surgeon was the one who got the uh the shrapnel out of his heart. Oh, that's funny. So it's like recut yeah. in China. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I don't think either uh, Fast and Furious or Mission Impossible has like a China scene. They don't? I don't think so. I mean, like, I mean, I'm correct me I'd have to look wrong, back. But... but like, yeah, uh, Transformers absolutely oh, has yes. done that. Transformers has done that a lot. But um... like Meg did that. Someone said, like, <laughs> no way. Like, yeah, they did like a, there's like a Chinese character in it or something. I mean, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I get, I don't know what chi- ma- movies they make in China, but far and away, like, America can make, like, the biggest, best yeah. movies. Like, there like are the a biggest... lot of people in China, so that's definitely why it's such a huge audience. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Hollywood it has always crushed other, I don't know. Now, this is, like, a big uh, assumption. I don't know how much money Bollywood movies have, but Bollywood has, like, an issue of their movies are all kind of the same. They're all, like, musicals. They make so many. <laughs> And they make so many. But yeah, we make like the best, not to be American. We make, <laughs> we like, make the, the best, best movies, uh, we have the best the filmmakers. Best, no, the best blockbusters, like the best blockbuster tools, I guess. Like the most money mm-hmm. and, I don't know. But yeah, that was, that, was a big, uh, that was a big generalization, which was tricky to do. But I think... You nailed it. Yeah. I think uh, it's... Stuck I the landing. something, there's something there. 
Well, I'm done with that if you wanted to actually end this now, Thomas. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I I think that might be... We've been here for over two hours, so I I feel like that's fair for a one-hour podcast episode. Um, Fair enough. Closing remarks, Jack. What, what, What are you walking out of here with new knowledge? Well, I mean, so I approached... Uh, to like a Marvel talking about Marvel, I like used to. I guess before this, I thought was like I don't know, like a, such a fanboy, like lame thing to do. Like I don't know, I'm like sick of hearing opinion, people's opinion. Like I thought I was sick of hearing MCU opinions. They're just like everyone has them, and like. Uh, but this is like I like how you guys like that you mentioned Breaking Bad. And that, like, the redeeming stuff of Fast and Furious. Like, these are good, new, fresh ways to talk about the MCU. Because I know, I'm sure you guys have done a podcast on this. But, like, <laughs> the, I, like talking about villains in the MCU or something. I don't know, it's, like, very, like, everyone talks about it. It's, like, everyone, ha- everyone like, understands, like, oh, is Thanos, like... Like crafting the perfect villain is Thanos like a good villain like and it's like and it's just like yeah. I'm like a jaded yeah. very jaded but this is very fresh I was you guys are 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 very sharp and said stuff I didn't think you were gonna say and uh, it was and it, it it made me think a little differently that like Marvel stuff can be be uh, stuff I haven't heard I would say so that was that's oh. my closing remark it was good thank you Jack. I think all of us here at AP Marvel very much appreciate that, and that's that's what we that's what we strive for. So yeah, yeah I can, dude. I am also jaded, yeah, <laughs> and that yeah. is why I made this podcast. Right, good. <laughs> yeah, not to a- diss, because like I I am friends with many of the people who do talk about that stuff. Like I'm not dissing them. I'm just saying like I want to create a different space. Yeah, the the yes, and I I can I see it. I I'm impressed with the because you've got to. Marvel, like, when people treat Marvel, like, it's, like, or, like, the the phenomenon of, like, Marvel versus DC is, like, such a bubble. <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, there's, so, Justice League, Breaking Bad, comparing their production to MCU is great stuff. Very good stuff. <laughs> if it's new, I haven't heard, never heard that, either one. So, I like it. That's just good. Anyway, I'm, I, I'll stop saying that. But that's, that was my takeaway. <laughs> that was my closer. I, I'll, very, dude, very I'll take cool. all the praise I can get. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. Uh, Chris, what do, what do you got? What did you get out of today? Um, that I still love Fast and Furious. I was actually <laughs> watching the eighth movie last night. Oh no! Before oh, it was wait, four a.m. and I was like, wait, I should go to sleep. Sounds like before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fitting that I watched both Watchmen and Fate of the Furious yesterday. To, to Surprisingly good this. research for this episode. Accidental yeah, research. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, thanks for introducing all of these uh, these ideas and concepts. I think this is, I don't know if this was your intention, but this is kind of a nice summary of why, of how the, like, why the MCU is, maybe not how, but why, like, why it has worked and why others have not worked. Um, So, yeah, maybe, I, I don't want to, I hope it doesn't sound like I was um, kind of, poking too many holes in your thesis statement but like no i mean i think this really was like a good um discussion on like what what can we learn like what can we learn in the future um i'm glad this wasn't a oh or or is marvel doomed and stuff like that (laughs) because i've had enough of those and (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> but yeah, those are pretty much my final thoughts. Uh, watch Better Call Saul. That's my other thoughts. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool, cool. So um, I, I think that I really enjoyed the way that we talked through the process. Um, and and there, there, I mean, that is like part of the, the criticism of the thesis, but also part of the, the joy of the episode is that um, you get behind the camera, you get like into the creative people who work on the films and say like, how are they doing things? And how is that different than how it's been done before? Um, and I think that even though we sort of talked about how a lot of movies that are non-franchise related, non-blockbuster related are experimenting and doing new things and trying new things out and don't have a lot to, to gain, that um, this process does interact strongly with those movies and draw from them. Um, and that in certain contexts, these lessons, like these processes that Marvel has invented are valuable to look at and, and examine. Um, and they sort of come from these previous like other movies and other franchises, and they will probably inform future franchises and movies in, in some way. Um, yeah. e- even I mean, if just when, like the way you work behind the camera. Yeah. When, when you listen to people, when you listen to filmmakers talk about how they made their, their movie, they will always reference other movies. Um, and it's just, it's just a point of like getting the right, like learning the correct lessons from them. So like the lesson from the MCU is get fresh voices and not make more movies. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, they're trying to like put auteur, like each movie is the idea, like the pitching, like someone pitches their movie and then mm-hmm. Kevin decides if it's a good fit. So then, if it's a good fit, they get to make their movie. Yeah. So it's almost like a, you're almost capturing the auteur a little bit. A little bit, yeah. But there, there bit. is like there is some oh, distillation. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. A little bit, because you know that uh, Thor Ragnarok is such a tight movie. Oh, for yeah. sure. And, and, and he cast all his friends in it. Like everyone, everyone, yeah. like the ladies from Hunt for the World People, and, and the yeah. guy, the dad is in it. And, yeah. Yeah. Again, the the push and pull. It's different for every movie. So. Yeah. It's it's a, it's always a crapshoot. But uh, they get it right most of the time. Plugs and handles and identifying information. Uh, yes. I'm on uh, Twitter at Compenderizer. And that's pretty much all I have to plug at the moment. We have more stuff coming that's, up soon. That's that true. More, more pluggables in maybe next week's episode or the one yeah. after that. Um, Jack? Yeah, I run a YouTube, a YouTube channel called Now You See It which, like, discusses film tropes and themes and stuff. And uh, that's it. That's my plug. Cool. No social media plugs? Uh, I mean, my Twitter's JackNewJo27, I guess, mm. but I don't know. I don't really tweet on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I do, some, I do sometimes. So I just tweet sure. my videos. Just like watch sure. the videos. Just subscribe to the video, and then they, you'll, get my, you'll get enough of me, I guess. <laughs> I'll build a website one day. It's almost done. Not almost done, but I'm working on it. My guy's cool. coding it. Oh, Yeah. Okay, which I, makes I'm, it way harder. I'm excited to <laughs> I'm excited to see that and, and yeah, the prototype it's like and nice stuff and like that. and minimal. Or yeah. it, that's the goal. It'll be jackdigit.me because jackdigit.com was taken. Oh god, god damn I'm it! I'm still not over it, dude. And it's some like dog. It's like a guy made a website <laughs> for his dog, <laughs> and it's like from 2006, dude. It sucks, and people are gonna go to it and be like, "Yo, what the fuck is this?" I was very mad when um, I was trying to find a cool domain name, and I was literally searching for Chris.cool. 
but lo and behold, someone owns Chris.cool, and I'm very mad. Nice. Not nice. No, I'm gonna no, find nice that, that motherfucker like and taken that. It's too low hanging. <laughs> Chris that... cool. What about Chris Awesome? Uh, not as not as uh, succinct and uh, <laughs> catchy. Chris Cool. Chris Yeah. Cool with a K? Did you try? I'm, I'm... <laughs> I refuse. Okay. <laughs> don't even check. You don't, <laughs> don't want to know if it's, if it's available. Oh. Um, thank you guys very much for the enjoyable discussion. Uh, thanks for, for, it's always fun when I have an idea and that becomes like three people's time for an hour and a half. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it, it makes me feel valued. Mm-hmm. Um, you are valued, Thomas. And to our, to our listeners, uh, thanks for sticking with us. This is episode 27, um, which is, you know, pretty substantial. We're up there. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. So, uh. Tune in next week for whatever that episode is going to be. I think Chris is recording it tomorrow. So Yeah, it's going to be on um, the sympathetic villains of the Spider-Man movies. Okay. So we'll go all the way from Willem Dafoe to Michael Keaton and be like, why are these all sob stories? <laughs> You're doing that tomorrow? Yeah, if, if all goes according to plan. But that is scheduled to be the episode after this. Hey, you guys are killing it. Once a yeah. week? Yeah. That's awesome. I do one, one video a month. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just you, right? That's true. I do have a guy I'm going to hire to help me, like my oh, friend. That's cool. There you go. Uh, I think there are... Not hire, he's just going to help me more. There, there are many of us. We are, we are legion. How so. many of you are there? <laughs> five. Just, there's five of you? Yeah. Oh, wow. What? There's, like, too many <laughs> the people... There's, like, too many people who host the podcast to, like, actually have them all on every episode. Mm-hmm. So... This will be three hours long if you get everyone on the <laughs> Yeah. You get, you get the Venom episode if you get everybody in there. <laughs> listen to the... Jack, listen to the Venom episode. It's fascinating. Uh, the Venom episode is the only episode we've recorded that, like, I, I was, like, listening to it at work and, like, cracking up. Like, I could not stop <laughs> laughing. Um, like, I, like, I had to, like, pause it and, like, listen to it later because it was, like, not... I couldn't control myself. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Yeah. That could be the, first, be the first one. It's it 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 is. Oh awesome. God! So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, cue music. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good night. Rest in peace, Daredevil. Mm-hmm.